Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to another wonderful edition of the Steam Cleaners podcast. Uh, I am your host and uh, very uh, much a, a excited to talk about uh, a game that I have been playing far too much of over the past few weeks, finally ready to uh, to bring forward as the game that I've invested the most time into for a while now. Um, but of course, it's not just me on this gaming podcast. I am joined by my lovely co-host, Walter Cietis Fetchuk. Walter, how are you doing, buddy? I am doing great. We are uh, a couple weeks prior to Easter as we're recording this. I think actually when this comes out, we'll have been... Uh, this will be the Monday after Easter, I believe. Um, so I, I just celebrated Ukrainian Easter uh, with my family uh, for the first time in probably four years, um, a couple years because of the pandemic and then a couple years because I was on the West Coast. Um, not religious. It's not a religious thing. It's just that the food is so delicious and uh, holds a special place in my heart that I'm really happy that we were able to get together as a family um, and have one of these traditions that I think all of us on, on my side um, have really missed. And given everything that's been happening in Europe over the last you know uh, two months, um, I think it's really important for us to experience and share together. So I'm, I'm happy to be here talking video games, but that's kind of where my mind has been the last, uh, last couple of weeks. Well, that's great, man. You know, uh, obviously, uh, shout out to Ukraine, uh, still pulling through uh, so much better than I think a lot of people feared. Um, all of the love to uh, to them. And also just all of the best holidays are really about the food and the people you share it with, right? Those are the, the two keys that you need for any holiday to reach top tier. So uh, Ukrainian Easter sounds very good to me. Uh, but we're not here to talk about uh, Ukrainian Easter, Walter, we are here to talk about video games that we have played, specifically video games that are entirely different from the games that we played the last time around. Last week, uh, when we did this, we had you talk about Timberborn, a city builder for beaver enthusiasts, and uh, I was joined by uh, K-pop shenanigan co-host Kristen Pignolo to talk about Paradise Killer, and today we're not talking about either of those games. Uh, we are talking about entirely different things that we have been playing. And I believe that we are going to be breaking some new ground in a couple different ways this episode, because if I remember correctly, Walter, you're not talking about just one game today. You're right. I am talking about actually a couple of games that I touched. Uh, I do want to say for everyone after Timberborn, uh, who was so distraught with the fact that my beavers died. I have over the past couple weeks, I went back to the save file. I went to a moment in time prior to them all dying. I was able to fix the problem. And I can tell you, I have about 300 healthy, very happy beavers living in my land right now. So, so we did it, folks. We got them. They're alive. Everything's good. Wonderful. We love a happy ending here on the Steam Cleaners podcast. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so I, I know I said last time that I wanted to go through and play some of the games in the itch.io bundle to raise money for Ukraine, and that is what I did. Um, I, I picked a couple games out that I wanted to play. Um, both of them were very, very short. Um, the very first game that I played was a game called Can Androids Pray? 
Um, and I'm lying. That was actually the second game I played, but it was the shortest. So that's why I'm going to talk about it first because I just want to be real quick about it. Um, I misinterpreted what this game was supposed to be. It ended up being basically a visual novel with dialogue trees that took me 20 minutes. Um, it talks about existentialism and what it means to be human. And if that stuff sounds interesting to you, I would say it's well worth 20 minutes of, you know, clicking through some dialogue options. Um, but it's not worth the $7 that you would have to pay for it separately. So if you got the itch.io bundle or just for some reason you have this from some other bundle, play it. 20 minutes, you're in and out. And I think it, it makes you think. I would say I spent longer thinking about it afterwards than I did actually playing it. Um, but for the meat and potatoes of the episode, what I actually played, uh, this game took me about an hour and a half to, to get through and really kind of enjoy myself. Um, I played a short hike, which is a game developed by Adam Grew. Uh, it was done through Unity, um, and it was a lovely little game. Um, essentially the premise is that you are a bird and you have gone with your aunt up into a nat uh, national park, uh, that she is a ranger in and, um, something is bothering you. There, there is, uh, you're expecting a phone call, but there's no reception and your aunt tells you, well, there should be reception at the top of the mountain. And the entire goal is to climb up the mountain. And, um, there is a golden feather mechanic which the golden feather is kind of like your stamina meter. Um, so you have to, you can purchase a couple of these from the shop that's right at the beginning, but then you find out that's all they have. You have to, um, you know, a, a young man came through and purchased the remainder of their stock. So you're going to have to find more of these feathers to be able to move further up the mountain. Um, there is some um, light questing. Uh, you can interact with other, uh, you know, denizens of the park and they'll give you like little, you know, quest things. Um, one of them that sticks out to me is you run into a runner. Um, they're going to have a marathon and she lost her headband. And uh, you, you go searching for the headband and eventually you bring one back to her. Um, there is also uh, another one that there's a reoccurring painter that is moving all around the mountain. And the goal is that they are trying to capture the perfect painting. Um, you don't really interact beyond just talking to them, but I think that little kind of short story and little non-interactive quest line is, is very touching. Um, and I don't want to spoil more because I think I, I would, I, I'm going to spoil, you know, Hey, fucking play this game. If you have the bundle, play this game. I know I, you know, it was an hour and a half, but I could have very easily gone back in and just kind of continued to play it GTA style of just moving around and exploring different things. And, um, it took a while for me to like kind of discover the whole map and there was still a lot more stuff that you could discover or interact with or, or um, move about. Um, but like I said, it only took me like an hour and a half to beat the game and it's really would be hard for me to talk about one game that I only played for an hour and a half for like a half an hour. So Chase, does a short hike sound like it's kind of up your alley? You know, it, it certainly is uh, the kind of experience that I, I find myself gravitating towards a little bit more recently. You know, when you talk about that kind of like uh, one and a half to th to maybe even four hour game, uh, I've definitely found quite a few that I really enjoyed. Uh, the subsurface circular comes to mind uh, when you're talking about that kind of like uh, Android existentialism from the uh, the first game you mentioned. Um, which was a, a Mike Bethel kind of exploration of a similar topic in that same time frame. Uh, there, there's an art to being able to 
tell a captivating story and get us invested in characters in that short period of time. And I will always prioritize a game that does that effectively, um, even if it has maybe a limited runtime or a limited number of ways in which you can really experience and delve into it, as long as the characters are strong and the story is compelling and the ways in which you do interact are interesting. Um, a game that I'm probably not going to talk about on the podcast because I like it, it was an hour and a half and I, I didn't find myself as much in love with it as I wanted to uh, was Adios, uh, which was a, a narrative based game I played recently. It's about the same length as, as that one, uh, as a short hike, I should say. Um, but the, the, the problem there was like, interacting with the world didn't really feel a lot like a game does this feel like something that is uh enough of a a game in, in how you interact with the world that it separates itself from say you know being converted into a short film or a a movie um which some of these kind of shorter games you could make that argument for so i get where you're coming from and i would say yeah like it easily could be a film or something but there is enough sort of interaction off the main path off the main trail necessarily um and enough cute little like like i said quests discovery opportunities um mechanics to it that it it is a game it is a game and there were there were a couple moments where I got like frustrated with some of the platforming elements of it. Um, it absolutely rewards you for taking the time to explore. Uh, I very easily could have just like shimmied my way direct, like direct path up the mountain. Um, there is like a little bit of a gate where you, you reach that young man that has purchased all the golden feathers and he is selling them at a markup because when you get to him, you have to, the, the, the area that you have to climb, you need a certain amount of golden feathers to be able to climb it. Like just, just the game says you must have, uh, I, I can't remember if it's six or seven golden feathers to be able to make this gap. So there is like, mm -hmm. you know, there's a firm, like you must accomplish this much, but like I, I found enough feathers below there. Like I didn't actually have to buy any feathers off of him to be able to make it past that gap. Um, but I still did because I had the money to do it. So that, you know, helped do it. Um, it's a game that definitely rewards you for exploring and for looking around and for finding different things. Um, by the time I actually had gotten up there, I, I didn't have six or seven feathers. Um, so I was, I was on the hunt for looking for more money to be able to buy the, the two feathers that I needed. And just by exploring, I found a, um, like a shipping boat with a guy that was being lazy and was just kind of like sitting there and be like, oh yeah, I'm taking my break because the boss isn't around. Um, I found the other two feathers that I needed. I found enough money to buy two feathers if I had needed to. I found there were some islands that actually were further than that shipping boat that if you went to them, there was like a little beachside like boat rental place. And there was a little kid there that wanted to go out on the boat, but because their parent was working, they couldn't go out on the boat. So you can rent the boat and then talk to the kid and the kid will be like, will you take me out on the boat then? And you can decide yes or no. Like, so there is a game in here. There is a game. It's not a very, very complicated game. It's a pretty, pretty straightforward game, but it does enough to reward you to step off the main path that um, you feel rewarded. Um, there's a fishing mini game in here. 
Like, you can, once you get the fishing rod, you could just, like, spend all your time in all these little different, you know, water areas and just fish for a while. Um, so, yes, I would say that the game adds enough that the gameplay and all that jazz adds enough to it where it would be a very different experience if it was just a visual novel with dialogue options or a you know point and click adventure or a short film or, or, or anything like that and it does a very good job of telling the story of a young person who is dealing with a, a problem uh something that's causing them anxiety something that is causing them to worry um, and when I was done with this game and I was done with, with, um, Can Androids Pray, I actually had booted up another game from the itch.io bundle and I was getting ready to play it. I'd been playing it for about 10, 15 minutes and then my controller died and I went, I don't want to play this game without my controller because I'm a controller player. I don't like playing mouse and keyboard if I can help it. So I stopped, I played some league with, with a friend of mine and then the next day I came back and I was like, hey, all right, I'm going to play that other game again because I want to talk about it because there was a very straightforward like connection between that and a short hike. But as I had thought about on Monday, my experience with a short hike, it pulled me to another game that I had put some time into and that I had reached a point in it where, um, where emotionally and just like in my, you know, my past it hit on a situation that, that hit very close to home to me and I had to stop playing the game because I didn't want to handle those emotions at that time. And then I hadn't gone back to it. And that game is Night in the Woods. I'm going to be very honest. I have not beaten Night in the Woods. Um, I have not finished it. I don't have a cohesive like overall discussion about Night in the Woods. And maybe one day we will discuss it, but probably not because that game to me feels personal in a way. And my attachment to it feels personal. And I'm not sure that that actually is something that I want to really discuss on a, on a larger scale. But because both of these games discuss sort of this young person's interaction with an issue, with a larger problem, in very different ways, um, a short hike is much more positive. I mean, the solution to your problem, your cell phone, you don't have reception and you're waiting for a call. Well, the solution to that is just a short hike up the mountain. And hiking a mountain can seem very, um, very challenging. But to someone who has done it so many times, like the ant does, and she's the one that tells you to walk up the mountain, it does seem very simple to accomplish and very simple to do. And Night in the Woods... I still have not gotten to the point in that game where it talks about why the main character, May, has come home from college and has dropped out from college. Um, I haven't reached that point. But as they're dealing with all those complicated emotions, it is this very dark, kind of menacing atmosphere around them. And, uh, you know, the town they live on. Both of these are in very secluded locations where really the only people you interacted interact with are the denizens of that area in a short hike the, the the park that you're in and in um night in the woods the the town um of possum springs that you live in and just seeing how two different games sort of deal with the same sort of how does a young adult deal with an issue and how do they push past their problems and try to solve them it just got me kind of in that mindset and, and comparing and contrasting the two. Mm -hmm. I 
So, so first, before we get into Night of the Woods, I do want to just say with a short hike, um, I appreciate the, the kind of positive angle that you're bringing up here. Looking at the graphics, it has like kind of a very like Animal Crossing aesthetic to it almost. Yes. Like an old school Animal Crossing game. And I, like, I, I get the kind of positive vibes that you're, you're talking about just from the art design alone. You know, it's a, it's a bright, colorful world in which you get to determine how much you want to help people. And at the end of the hike, you get to share those adventures in addition to having that phone call. That sounds, it sounds like a very nice story. It sounds like a very fun story to get to explore. Night in the Woods is a game that I have been aware of for a very long time and have had some amount of interest in, but I have been held back from engaging in for two reasons. Uh, the first is that it is a, a much darker, less positive story. Um, and I, I think I might actually know a little bit more about like the twists, quote unquote, than you do. Um, both because I have the Wikipedia in front of me for the purposes of hosting this podcast and because people have talked about it as like a, a signature moment in gaming culture when it happened. Um, but the other reason that I have a hard time with it, uh, and, and I, I don't want to drown in this per se, but uh, Alec uh, Holakwa, um, the uh, designer of that game, um, famously uh, committed uh, suicide after it was revealed that he had been in a, uh, had been uh, emotionally and physically abusive with an ex-partner within the industry. And it shut down so many things about like a sequel to the game that was meant to be coming, a physical release version of the game that was meant to be coming. Um, and, and we learned so much about the kind of the, the dark place that he had been in, in a way that, combined with the dark themes of Night in the Woods always felt like too much of a barrier for me to get through. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with that particular side of like the development and the, the person behind Night in the Woods, but I, I would be curious your experience with that kind of uh, darker tone and, and darker narrative um, how that affected your ability to engage in a uh, a world that does have a cast of what seem to be very colorful and, and interesting characters to engage with otherwise. Uh, I knew none of that. <laughs> um, oh, I'm just cool. gonna be I'm gonna be very honest that uh, I knew none of that. Um, this has been a game that I've like purposely avoided seeing. Like I've never clicked on the Wikipedia page. I've never looked at a playthrough. Um, it is. It was always a game that was on my radar of something that I wanted to play. And when I started playing it, um, again, I got it through an itch.io bundle. I want to say at this point, it was probably the Black Lives Matter bundle from a few years ago. Um, either that or the Palestine bundle. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but I had like put it on this list of like a number of games I wanted to play from that bundle that included like quadrilateral cowboy and nuclear throne. Um, and like, I just hadn't gotten to it. And then I started playing it towards the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and I, I get like, I got to a point in the game where may like has this blow up with their mother, um, and about, 
like why did you drop out of school and they don't want to talk about it and sort of this expectation of like well we you know we we put so much you know money behind this and and you know the the had to take out a more a reverse mortgage on the house basically to get you to go to school and you're the first person to go to school and i i'm a college dropout like I don't have a degree. I went for political science, and the first time I ever interacted with a political campaign, I came out of it um, completely jaded and wanted nothing to do with it. And at the end of that semester, was basically like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know what I want to do. Uh, I guess I'm just going to work. I'm not going to waste money. And given where I sort of was at it, at in my life you know, just coming back from, from, uh, Vegas, from the West coast and from working with unicorn and just kind of taking the first job that I was offered when I came back here, because upstate New York is my home. I, I want to live here. Um, and I wanted to come back here. Um, it really, really hit really, really hard at that time. And I was just like, I need to take a break from this. Um, cause it's hitting too close to home. And just with the pandemic being at the beginning of a relationship, being at the beginning of a new job, I didn't really want to deal with those emotions in that way because I was like, no, I'm trying to be positive now. I'm trying to build something like whatever. And the way that a short hike is so positive and just deals with this adversity um, in such a in such a positive way and everything, it brought me back to sort of the darker version of it. And I wanted to come back and give Night in the Woods um, another try. And I was very happy to find out my save file. I still had it saved on my computer, so I didn't have to start over at the beginning. And I just kind of continued to play it from there. Um, and I definitely don't feel, you know, the couple of hours that I've played, you know, since I started it again, I definitely don't feel the same visceral connection that I did the first time that I played and the first time that it comes to that that moment. Um, so I, I knew nothing about the the developer's background or anything but now like being told that i could see where the story as far as i've gotten through could hint at somebody who's who's dealing with some shit in their head um who is who is providing an outlet for um some demons essentially for some negative thoughts that are is trying to work through something um, I can definitely see that. I'm sure as I play the game more, it'll it'll be a little bit more in depth because there's some parts of Night in the Woods that's a real a real trip. There's some real trippy shit in there um, that is like it's interesting um, and gets you thinking. But I don't necessarily think it's like I don't think it's thinking in a like um internal way i think it's more of like the kind of high school literature way of where you're trying to analyze what stuff means like what does the author mean when this thing happens or what does the author mean talking about this um i do think it's a it's a pretty good exploration of sort of americana and sort of the history of how we treat small town america um at least to me, you know, grew up in kind of a small town and I can see some of the comparisons of, you know, talking about Possum Springs that, you know, there used to be a mine there and like the mining company owned everything and all this jazz and sort of looking where, you know, I grew up and where Rochester grew up, like Rochester basically exists as a city because of Xerox and Kodak 
and Xerox and Kodak really aren't anything anymore. I, you know, Kodak, the one of the executives very famously in the early 2000s, decrying digital photography, going, well, no one will ever want a digital camera. You just don't get the same quality that you do from film. And here we are now in, you know, 2022, and I can take a photo on my phone and print it off on a printer here, and it looks just as good as any photo that, you know, I took on a film camera back in 95. So, um... I want to keep playing this game. I do want to find out what the ending is because I feel like I've invested enough time into it and I'm attached enough to the characters that I want to see what happens. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting playing a short hike and it being so positive and uplifting that it it made Night in the Woods come back into my brain. And it made me ponder Night in the Woods and it made me want to go back and play it. It's very fair. I I will be very curious. I'm assuming that this will be not be the last time we hear about Cabin in the Woods from you, given that you still have uh, quite a bit of the uh, main plot to go, from what I understand. Well, you'll never hear uh, about Cabin in the Woods from me, because I don't watch horror movies. Oh, God. Night in the Woods. <laughs> Cabin in the Woods is a good film. I don't like horror films. As you know, I am infamously a coward and a wimp when it comes to horror films uh though i do like that one but no night in the woods i um yeah uh working through stuff uh and and stuff coming from a dark place and a, a clearly uh someone who is struggling uh with a lot of inner demons is very much kind of what makes the game as powerful as it is which is why like the more you know about the backstory the more that can feel uh, maybe a bit uh, intimidating. But I'm glad I will be able to, through you, get a, a better sense of, of where that game ends up um, because I do think that what it does well, uh, Night in the Woods does as well as any game out there. There's a reason it got so many uh, awards in the year it came out, so many like top 20 games of the year kind of um, recognition um, because it has such a strong sense of character. And... You know, I, I think with both of the games you've described, right, whether you're engaging with the more positive world of a short hike and all the little vignettes of the people you meet along the way, or the, the little vignettes of the, the people you meet in a, a much uh, more somber um, kind of environment and, and atmosphere in Night in the Woods, uh, I, I get exactly where uh, uh, you're seeing that comparison, and I do look forward to seeing where you end up on night, uh, night in the woods at the end of the day. I imagine you're not ready to give that game a rating, but are you willing to give short hike a definitive rating? Uh, I, I mean, absolutely. Um, like nine, nine and a half out of 10. I think it's a superb game. I had a lot of fun of, uh, fun with it. Um, I mean, my only criticism is I wish it was longer. I wish there was more to explore. Um, but I can completely understand why the game is the length it is why it's the challenge, you know, or, or like I said, it's not a very difficult game. It's a pretty straightforward, pretty simple game. Very, you know, easy to understand mechanics. Um, but yeah, I, I, if you have the itch.io bundle uh, for, for Ukraine, it's absolutely worth it. Um, even if not, if you wanted to get it on, um, on the switch, I think it's like eight bucks. Uh, it's eight bucks on steam directly. I, yeah, I know I said it's an hour and a half. It's worth every second and then it's worth every single penny. I, I cannot recommend 
this game highly enough to to anyone. Well, awesome. I uh, I am glad to hear it, and I I do uh, very much uh, look forward to to hearing uh, more about um, Night in the Woods when you get there. Uh, I will probably check out a short hike because it does seem like exactly the kind of thing that I I do enjoy. Those kind of you know I can sit down in a single sitting and knock out games. I, I do find a lot of value in. So. I I think you would absolutely adore this game. I think you would absolutely, absolutely adore this game. Um, and like I said, I, I cannot, I, this might be the game that I recommend like the highest out of anything that I've played so far. Uh, but Chase, I'm not the only one that gets to do something groundbreaking here on the Steam Cleaners podcast because true. you happen to play a game that I have already played in the past. We haven't discussed it yet because we're about to discuss it now. But Chase, tell me what you think about the Outer Worlds. Oh, I liked this game a lot. Um, it This has been my big RPG investment, which obviously if you compare it to like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the times are not comparable. But for me, like I haven't invested more than 40 hours in a game in a long time. I guess... Fire Emblem technically, but Fire Emblem plays so differently. It's such a different pacing. This is like a full-on RPG with multiple sprawling planets and, and all these different decisions that you can make. Uh, and I played it on the Switch, a console that doesn't have a ton of those. Um, and I, I guess we'll get to the downsides of doing so that way uh, in a bit. But, you know, The Outer Worlds was instantly something that I knew I was going to be interested in because it was... Uh, made by the same developers uh, in Obsidian uh, that made um, the best of the Fallout games. Uh, Fallout New Vegas is widely regarded as one of the best uh, of the, the Fallout games, if not the best, because it captures the modern play style that the Fallout games have had with the kind of uh, early series focus on storytelling and adaptability and really getting to feel like your character can do things differently than other people because of the skills that you put in, you know, really making you feel like the build that you pick matters and the decisions that you make in terms of which factions to help really mattered. Um, and, and this is a game in Outer Worlds that I, I don't think is quite as sharp as that one, but I do think has a lot to love in that regard. Um, it is a game, I, whenever I play a game like this, I'm immediately like, okay, I am bad at shooters in general. How can I mitigate that problem? Well, let me make a build in which I can talk myself out of as much as possible, which is how I ended up with a character that had 150 points in both persuade and lying. <laughs> like by the end of the game, I could talk myself out of almost anything, um, and I think I had like at most 20 points in one type of gun. Like I just went full on uh, in environmental alternative problem solving uh, and had a blast with that. I loved being able to talk myself out of problems with some bullshit, um, especially at the end of the game. It felt very satisfying um, to be able to uh, to take that approach, which is not to say that you can talk yourself out of anything. You know, eventually I did end up having to find a, a couple guns that, could kind of become my bread and butter, but the game does such a good job of 
giving guns that are fun, you know, these kind of science weapons that can mix things up either by, you know, disintegrating your opponents uh, or uh, using gloop that knocks them up in the air and flips their gravity or, you know, the kind of infinite ammo in a, a pistol that you get in one of the DLCs. Um, there's a lot of fun weapons that even as someone who is bad at shooters like I am, uh, I was able to, uh, uh, to engage with it, get some nice back and forth battles without having to put many stats in that side of things and have a really good time with. It's a satisfying gameplay loop made, in my opinion, infinitely more satisfying by just how much freedom it gives you to engage with the game however you want to. Um, it, it felt great whenever a dialogue option popped up that I could take because I had put in an absurd number of points into Persuade. Uh, and it hurt when I would run into computers that I couldn't hack and therefore couldn't get extra lore out of or couldn't get alternate solutions towards certain puzzles because I just didn't put those points into tech, you know? Uh, those decisions mattered. And I, I, it is the kind of thing that if I were the kind of person to play games multiple times, I, I do think there's enough depth there uh, to play it differently each time. And I love that. I, I love that flexibility in maneuvering the world. Um, I, I guess I should probably talk a little bit more about like the actual setting of the game, right? Outside of just that it is an RPG in which your decisions matter. Um, it, it is a, um, a, a future, kind of a dystopian RPG. Uh, the idea uh, Teddy Roosevelt never becomes president because McKinley never gets assassinated. And so mega corporations seize the day. Uh, and when it comes to colonizing space, um, the mega corporations continue to dominate. Um, this is something that obviously is someone who famously will make anything that I can about critique and capitalism was very satisfying to me in particular. Um, it's an entire game in which the, the central point is uh, how terrible all these corporations are and how terrible the corporate system is and how much workers are exploited by it and, and the side effects that come from making that the backbone of a new society as you tie that in with space exploration. Um, the game does a really good job of, of you know, giving you these satirical um, kind of uh, nods to the camera, the little wink. Um, you get things like when you hack into computers, the corporations will have their slogans on there. You know, it's classics like, uh, you've tried the best, now try the rest. Spacer's choice. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, a lot of like that dystopian, like, you know, you always smile because a happy customer is a repeat customer and a repeat customer uh, is, uh, is you know, it's th things like that um, just taken to an extreme absurd um, that's always fun to deal with. And, and you see these kind of propaganda posters during the loading screens for each of these corporations and the kind of myth making that they build around themselves uh, that that deepens that kind of hold. Um, as you can imagine, you go to, you know, the, the typical gameplay loop, go to a planet, learn how capitalism fucked it up, uh, find out uh, which factions are trying to put things back together in a way that makes some amount of sense and decide which side you're going to help. 
and then move on to the next planet. Um, but it's it's the the details of it, though the way in which the world is fleshed out and it feels lived in while still being frankly absurd in all the best ways, you know, a, a game that actively makes me laugh out loud by how ridiculous and larger than life some of these characters are um, and, and how just like, you know, taken to the nth degree so many of these situations are. Um, there's really a, a lot to like about the themes of the game and the, the ways in which it allows you to interact with the world that it builds. I mean, man, I to me, you say Obsidian Entertainment is making an RPG game, and I'm all I'm all fucking over it. Some of my favorite games are Obsidian uh, RPGs. Uh, we're talking, you know, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic, The Sith Lord, uh, you know, to the Sith Lords. Um, we're talking about Fallout New Vegas. I, they even had a hand in South Park: The Stick of Truth, uh, Pillars of the Eternity series, which is on my list of something to play one day. Um, I remember when this game was first announced, all I needed was them to say, Obsidian is building a Fallout-style game. And the first screenshots that looked basically just like the Fallout you know, UI with the same, um, the same font, the same color schemes, it was... I, it didn't matter. I was going to play this game. I was absolutely going to play this game, uh, especially because I didn't actually play in Fallout 4. Um, I had the kind of the, the spoiler, um, the, you know, twist in the story spoiled to me by watching, uh, um, games done quick. I want to say it was summer games done quick and someone speed run it. And all of a sudden you find out, you know, what happens in that game, the, the, the twist. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess I don't have to play this game because I would much rather play new Vegas, which I really love or fallout, uh, fallout three that I have a, you know, an attachment to, um, so it didn't, it did not matter what the setting was going to be. It did not matter anything other than it was obsidian entertainment and it was a, and it was a fallout style RPG. Um, I played this right towards the beginning of the pandemic. I played it, uh, via the, um, Xbox, uh, game pass on my PC. And I want to say I probably put about 32 hours into it and I did every single quest in the game except one because I accidentally killed one of the, um, like important pieces of the quest and the quest just broke um that you know i know that there have been people that have done like playthroughs where they try to kill as many you know people as possible in towns to see how far it takes for the quest to break i know that's a very popular youtube content video to do on that very first planet because it somehow still figures out a way to like push that quest along and be like okay well you killed these four people but talk to this fifth person and now you can get onto the quest um, mm -hmm. I think that the, the setting of it being this, you know, very pro capitalism, you know, the, the capital, you know, the, they own the planets, essentially the businesses own the planets. Um, I enjoyed it as someone who is, you know, very left leaning, um, you know, very socialist ideals, very, you know, communist kind of influence on, on how I view things. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a lot of fun to be anti-capitalism, anti-companies, and then a couple of times making decisions where actually I worked with the company because it, you know, it, it seemed the lesser of two evils. So um, I, I loved this game. And at the time, I, I hit, I, the, the thing I remember about my playthrough is I got to the ending and I didn't believe that it was the ending. 
I uh, there was a very common bug on the very last planet uh, that was known through Xbox uh, through the through the Game Pass on PC, where um, if you it, there is a certain person important to the quest, and you are given a choice of whether to go with this you know work with this person, kill this person. Like there's multiple choices of what you can do in this situation. But the bug was if you entered that room, the game locked, and you couldn't make a decision. You couldn't do anything. Once you walked into that room, you were locked inside the room and you couldn't do anything else. And uh, the that particular save file was corrupted. Like you couldn't reload that like last autosave. You had to go back to the very last um, manual save that you made for the game to unlock you. Um, the only way around it at the time that I played it was you had to kill the person from outside the room. So you had to like throw a grenade in there or you had to shoot at him and draw him out of the room, but you could not enter the room until the character died. Um, so that sort of colored my playthrough a little bit. But yeah, I got to the end and it was it hit credits, and I was like, "Wait, what the fuck are you talking about? Fallout games are like a hundred plus hours long. What do you mean this is over thirty two hours? Like what? what yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a very different scope, and I think a lot of that has to do with like, you know, it, it's trying to be more." Um, you know, it's a new IP, right? And with new IP, even when it's from a developer that has uh, some amount of clout, you can't count on the sales being such that um, that extra level of investment to add that extra 20 to 30 hours of content is going to pay off. Um, you know, it, it just, it, it bloats the budget, it bloats the amount of time that's necessary. And if you don't know how popular it's going to be, then that's a big risk to take. Um, obviously, we know now that The Outer Worlds ended up being very successful um, and is now getting a sequel because it should. It's a very good game. But the the thing that became clear to me playing it is that the DLC is sharper than the main game. Uh, the DLC to me is a sign of what the series can be as it moves forward, which is not to say that the main game is not great because it is. It's it, like... As, as you mentioned, it picks a lot of targets that you and I are very happy to, to see shot down. But it also just has like a very fun cast of characters. Uh, you know, looking at the uh, Wikipedia page, the only companion that gets her own page is Parvati Holcomb, who is the greatest person ever. Yes. I, I love her to death. We stand an asexual queen. Yes. And I would like I dropped everything to get her date with that mechanic and to get everything set up there. I absolutely wandered into multiple areas well above my pay grade at that point in the game so that I could help her on that date because she deserves all of the happiness in the world. She is kind and endearing and wonderful and I, I love Parvati very, very much and wish her nothing but happiness. God, I hope she's in the second game. Or actually, I hope that she's not. I hope that she's somewhere being very happy and safe and not having to deal with the bullshit of the second game because she deserves everything. Um, she's not the only companion that's great. Um, Nioka, the kind of uh, uh, drinker on the uh, kind of more savage planet that's been abandoned by the corporations is also very fun. Um, you know, she has her, uh, kind of, uh, uh, machine gun that is a really fun ability to keep throwing out there. Um, you know, Ellie is your typical, like, uh, everyone in the world's going to screw you over. So, you know, I gotta 
got to stay cold, but secretly has a, a good heart there. Um, and, and Vicar Max is really fun. Um, as the, uh, definitely totally a priest ignore the fact that he's definitely been to jail and seems uh, a little bit sketchy as hell, but ultimately seems to have his heart in the right place. Um, there's some really good companions and there are really good moments that those companions bring. The quests for them are great. The side quests in the game in general add a lot of color and a lot of heart. And there are some really moving moments uh, that the game allows itself to have. You know, it's while, while a lot of it is very funny and very fun and, and can take things kind of up to 11, it does take a moment to allow itself to engage in a darker tone at times and to really recognize the uh, depths of um, how bad things can get in certain places. The, the problem in the ending of the main game, and I, I understand why we're talking around it a little bit, because I do recommend The Outer Worlds, and I don't want to spoil everything, but... Ultimately, the ending provides a choice that if you don't play the DLC, I'm sure has some nuance to it. I'm sure there's like a real question of like, well, even given all of the anti-corporate biases you and I have, um, you know, the way that Monarch is run, uh, the way that certain things play out uh, when you go the full anti-corporation route, you can make some argument that uh, perhaps the system could be reformed with the right people in charge, whatever it is that you, you want to kind of take down, right? There's uh, a nuance to it that is worth exploring. But if you play the DLC, if you do uh, the peril on Gorgon and you do the murder on Eridanos, the corporations are unforgivable. They are committing crimes against humanity in a way that is deeply engaging very powerful and absolutely unforgivable, absolutely incapable of being looked past with any amount of nuance. And that to me created a really weird dynamic because I was playing the main game and I was enjoying it. I would say it was a solid like eight or nine out of 10 for me as I was playing through most of the main game, loved all the companion stuff, loved all the side quests. There was some real color there. And, you know, you get to the last planet and, you know, things are kind of slowing down a bit and you're looking at some of the enemies and the design is getting a little bit generic and repetitive and whatever else. But then the game tells you like, hey, you got to do the DLC before the main quests wrap up because you can't go back. Once you finish the main story, you can't then get into the DLC. And so I stopped everything and I played both DLCs. And they're incredible. I would say that Peril on Gorgon is a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 experience. If that game was released as a solo project, I would tell everybody to stop whatever they were doing and go play Peril on Gorgon. Deeply affecting, deeply powerful, um, deeply fucked up. Holy shit. Some of the things that you find out that the corporations have been up to in that one. Uh, holy shit. Um really powerful, really well done. Murder on Eridanos, I would say, is a solid nine and a half out of ten. Uh, corporation slightly less fucked up, but still incredibly fucked up. 
what they did on Eridanos and what they were trying to do to the world as a whole if Anticleo as a corporation had gotten their way. Um, really powerful. And in both sequences, because they knew the DLC was self-contained, everything is connected to each other. They're, the pacing is sharper. The connections between characters are smoother. The way in which you can interact with the overall narrative is cleaner because everything is contained in a way that it all very directly relates to each other. And you don't have to worry about like building a game that can be engaged in from all of these different directions and kind of out of sequence because there is only one sequence. It's the DLC. There's only so much variability you can have within the same one planet that almost everything in both of those uh, DLC titles is, is taking place on, you know? Um, that limitation ends up breeding more creativity in terms of what they can do with character design, what they can do with world design, mission design, the interconnected nature of it all. It's all really, really fucking good. I cannot stress enough how much I enjoyed the DLC for this game. But what that means <laughs> is that I went back to the main game and I was like, well, there is no nuance here in this ending. The corporations have done things in both of those DLCs that is absolutely 100% unforgivable. Uh, inexcusable they need to be burnt to the ground the corporation should not be allowed to exist having done the crimes against humanity that they did in a way that even with the rest of the game and there's plenty of things that are sketchy that these corporations do in the rest of the game it is a it is a different level of fucked up in these dlcs so there was no nuance there was nothing to be said there for me as I made my final decisions. It was basically a presentation of, well, do you want the good ending or the bad ending? Because there's only one good ending, and it's the one that minimizes what those motherfuckers did on Eridanos and Gorgon. It's the only way that you can view things, in my humble opinion at least. I don't know. I guess it depends on which war crimes are less of a bad thing to you, but to me... It's inarguable how terrible the corporations are. And going back to the main game, where it was a little bit less focused, in which there was a little bit less cohesion on certain design elements because it has to be more flexible, because it has to be, you know, because it can't benefit from that self-contained nature of it, it was hard to go back. It was hard to go back and pretend like I hadn't had all of those wonderful elements that really defined my experience with the DLC. So where does that leave me? I, I, I suppose at the end of the day, it means that I'm incredibly excited for Outer Worlds 2. Outer Worlds 2, if they build off of what they did in the DLC, is going to be incredible. I, I, I think that the DLC showed what the series could be, and I really hope is the launching point for what comes next. Um... That said, it is a kind of surreal feeling when you look at the DLC, and I, I do enjoy it substantially more than the main game. I, I think it's sharper than the main game, and there's a part of me that wishes I could pay $15 every six months to a year to get that 10 to 12 hour DLC experience. Forget about being the open world RPG. Forget all of that. Give me 
what these DLCs were, which was this kind of much more focused journey and experience, really exploring the most out of what this world has to offer. Um, and I don't think that Outer Worlds 2 is going to be that because that's just not how games are made anymore in, in 2022, you know? So it was a weird feeling. I, I, I still love the game and I, I still love uh, a lot of what it brings, even if I think that sometimes it could be a little bit sharper in its targets, uh, especially in things like the propaganda stuff. Like they they do propaganda posters from a whole bunch of different eras. And I don't think that because of that range, it has much to say other than propaganda is bad, which like, okay. Um, but those are nitpicks, you know? Um, they're just nitpicks that felt so much sharper when the DLC was so fucking good. So I never played the DLC. Um, like I said, I played this towards the beginning of the pandemic. I did the 30 hours and I was like, oh, cool. All right. Um, I, I will, I will agree. The reason it does it, that it is so short is that it was a proof of concept. This was obsidians. Everyone has begged Bethesda to make fall uh, to make new vegas 2 everyone on the planet i i am sure there are newborn babies that are born today right this moment and their first words will be please bethesda make new vegas 2 i would love that i would pop for that i would be so happy i'd be the first person in line to buy that game when it releases because i don't pre i don't uh, uh pre-purchase games anymore after how disappointing cyberpunk was but there is a part of me that worries that no matter what happens, nothing New Vegas 2 will not meet the expectations that we as a community have set and what we expect after playing New Vegas. So now that Microsoft owns both Obsidian and Bethesda, there's been those rumblings again of like, well, they could just have, they could focus on Elder Scrolls and Starfield and they could just let Obsidian make Fallout New Vegas 2 and it'll, everything will be amazing. And... I agree with you. I don't want that. I actually want more Outer Worlds. I You talking about this and talking about how good these DLCs are, I, I'm now in my head going like, yeah, I, could, I could do, I, I haven't played this game in like two years. I could go back and play it. I could play it again for the DLC. But the point it's that you it. bring up about that sort of disconnect from the DLCs are so amazing and then you come back into the ending. I, even without the DLCs, the ending felt like that. The ending did, the ending felt absent of choice and even despite the fact that there was that bug it doesn't change the ending all that much ultimately there are three different endings to this game there's a good ending there's a bad ending and then there's a ending which i won't say anything because it, it'll spoil it but they don't feel like choices because the corporations are so inherently evil Across the entire the entirety of the game, and sure, are there moments where maybe once or twice you wanna you wanna side with the corporations instead? Sure. I, I don't remember why. I don't remember what what those reasons particularly were. Um, it could have just been better gear, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it is ultimately a good versus bad ending, and how have you played the game up until this point, and are you gonna stay consistent within that playthrough? I know most of the time when I try to play these games, uh, I know when I played um kotor 2 uh, dude i'm going sith like i you i personally am the type of player that when i play these games i tend to be evil when i play them 
One, because then I don't feel guilty when I steal shit and I sell all of it and I make a bunch of money by that. I don't feel bad when I go through Skyrim or uh, I go through Morrowind, Elder Scrolls 3, one of my, you know, I love that game. And the very first, like, main town you get to, you go into somebody's house, you kill them, and cool, now I have a house to store all the stuff that I'm going to steal because I'm going to cheat the fuck out of this game because that's what makes Elder Scrolls fun, exploiting it. Um, But the, it... it in those games, it doesn't feel so black and white. Nothing about that feels so black and white. Even even New Vegas, as sort of brutal as Caesar's Legion is, it doesn't feel like a black and white decision to choose between, uh, you know, between the the um, the Brotherhood of Steel and Caesar's Legion or. You know, what does end up feeling kind of like the, the goodest choice of all of all is to just let the people run things, that the people of Good Springs, that the people of New Vegas run everything, and don't let either of these outside factions influence things. Um, and that is one thing where I think it falls short. It, I, I, not I think, I know it falls short of what an expectation of a Fallout Elder Scrolls style game ends up being. Um, I'm very willing to blame that on the fact that this was a proof of concept project. And even when they made it, I, I don't know if Obsidian did this because they were like, hey, we want to make a new IP. Or if it was, hey, guys, yeah, we're still really fucking good at this. Bethesda, give us Fallout to work on. I, I'm not I'm not one of their CEO, you know, CEO, vice president, whatever. I don't know what their thoughts were, but the game feels very much like a proof of concept of either a new property or a let's flex our muscles and show we're still really fucking good at this thing. Um, but at the end of the day, do you recommend this game to people? Do you think they should play it, even if it's just play it so you can play the DLC? Yeah, I 100%. I do recommend this game. I think the base game is a solid 8, maybe 8.5 out of 10. I think the DLC is either a nine and a half or a 10, depending on uh, which of the two per, uh, uh, adventures you take. I would play both. I would buy the game of the year version or whatever the hell they call it. Um, that's what I did for the Switch is I just got the one with all the DLC because it was at like a 60% off sale or something crazy like that. And um, I got more than my value out of it. Um, you know, for me, I liked the length of the game. I, I just, uh, like I said, I, I think the sharpness of a more limited scope for the DLC did go a long way with it. And I would love to see that angle presented on a broader scale in order to merge the best of, of both worlds there. Um, the one other thing I will say, I played it on the Switch and... You know me. I love my Switch. As I've said on this podcast, it's basically the only console I play nowadays because I simply do not have the uh, the energy to play games on my computer. It's the thing I use for work. It's the thing I use for, you know, so many different things. So when I'm, I'm kind of in my play mode at the end of the day, I want to be somewhere else. I want to be out in my living room and, and taking advantage of the TV and whatnot. But man... It's in moments like these that I understand why people say that we need a Switch to. Because the fact that a game that came out in 2019 runs as poorly as it does on the Switch is really unfortunate. 
And that comes in a couple different ways, right? It's um, loading screens that are longer than they should be. It's pop-in, a lot of pop-in, in and out, um, that just is very distracting. Um, you can you can see those moments just like the the environment kind of coming in on itself in real time. And it's like, you know, did it take away from my experience? No, because ultimately I think the world design is good, the character design is good, the quest design and the narrative is great, and especially with the DLC, you know, you're kind of sticking onto one world and bouncing from place to place, so some of that is a little bit less um, frustrating. But if you have an option of machine to play it on, I cannot recommend the Switch over other systems. It is the one on which the game performs the least well. And if technical concerns from a graphical standpoint in particular are something that will uh, hurt you, uh, that will hurt your ability to enjoy the game, play it on something else because the other consoles do not have that concern. And in a world in which I had more than one console, uh, I would have taken that into account. Uh, I still think the game is worth it on the Switch. I played it on the Switch. I'm still recommending it, despite all of those concerns. But I, I do feel like for people picking it up, uh, that's something to keep in mind. And something else to keep in mind is that it is the end of our episode. Thank you all so much uh, for listening. Hopefully uh, you got a few different games to, to try out uh, from this one. Um, but Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Uh, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, unfortunately for all of you, uh, the Outer Worlds, as we are recording, is currently on a 67% off sale on Steam. That means that you can get the base game for $19.79 or the game with the uh, the DLC and the soundtrack for $25.35. That deal expires on April 18th, which I assume is today. So maybe if you're really, really, really lucky, they mean like end of the day on the 18th and you can rush out and grab it real quick. We are not sponsored by Steam or Obsidian Entertainment. We get nothing from that, uh, just if you wanted to pick it up. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for being on. I cannot wait to uh, wait to hear what you guys have to think uh, about particularly the Outer Worlds because I do know that was a very big deal when it came out. Um, I believe next time I'm going to continue my sort of uh, humble bundle itch.io Ukraine uh, deep dive to see if there can uh, if there's a few more gems in there. Uh, I think I know the next game that I'm going to play now that the batteries for my controller are uh, are recharged. But I also saw the humble bundle choice for April has destroy all humans in it. So when I Ooh. get that game, when that bundle gets charged to my card, that might be the game that I talk about once once I get that game. Because I remember Destroy All Humans when it first came out. I wanted that game so, so badly. And my parents wouldn't let me buy it because of the rating. So I think it might be time to right that wrong in like a month. We'll see. Yeah. Well, you'll certainly uh, need to be following the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod on social media if you want to be there when we get to it. Uh, you can follow me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. Um, obviously, uh, if you're here on the Steam Cleaners feed, uh, you'll get more shows every couple weeks. But if you want everything that we're doing, uh, the Rough Drafts podcast 
uh, is where you're going to see things like Final Cut, which is our movie pod, and K-Pop Shenanigans, which is our K-Pop podcast, as well as a couple other projects from time to time uh, when we feel like it. Um, but uh, we will we will see what games Walter and I bring to the next podcast. But until then, goodbye, Internet.